You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by pastor of Next Generations, Mark Hockley. everyone. My name is Pastor Mark. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, we're grateful that you're here. I just want to say a few things uh, before we pray and get started. As um, you can see on the screen, we're going to be considering a very weighty topic um, this morning. And so I just uh, want to be honest with you and say that I expect this sermon to be painful and emotional I told the first service, I, I don't know how I'm going to do it twice, um, but here we are. Um, pray for me in that. I want you to know this, that I don't preach this topic today with any sort of delight. Members of my family, many of my friends... Statistics would say some of you that are here in this room are on this path towards hell and it's the most terrible truth and not something that I would wish on anyone. I just also want to acknowledge that we've all experienced and perhaps been turned off by crazy preachers who have abused teaching on judgment and hell. So I'm going to do my best to you for you today to rightly handle God's word, to tell you the truth, even if it's hard but not abuse the truth. Also, I just want to remind you, I'm not trying to look smart. Um, You know I love to study the Bible. I've also um, studied what many other great and wise men have considered on this topic, reading scholars, commentary writers, um, pastors like um, Chan and Keller and Piper and Horton, um, just bringing these things um, to you this morning. On the topic of hell, I think we can simultaneously both talk too little and too much about hell. Hell is real, um, and that's what we're going to talk about today, and its existence is meant to be a sobering reminder for us. It's meant to give us a jolt of urgency. It's meant to teach us much about God. And so I think most of us, if you're like me, we, we probably fall in the camp of not thinking enough about these things, because they're hard and they're not nice to think of. But we also can think about hell too much, and I don't want us to swing the other way as we go through um, this little mini-series, because the human mind and the human heart, I don't believe, are equipped to perpetually dwell on such an unspeakable and terrible thing. Hell's not intended to always be thought of, only God is. God is intended to always be thought of, not hell. Hell points us towards God, but we have to remember that God is the goal of the gospel. He's what we are to set our minds on, not hell. So let's find a good balance in this as we consider these things this week and next week. The final thing I want to say before we pray is just remember that this is not just doctrine. Doctrine is important, right? We've talked about that, but just as we, we deal with these things today and we look at God's word, remember that we are talking about people's eternal destinies. We're not just trying to get something right so we can be right on a test. So let's pray and we'll get started. 
God, I pray that you would be with us here this morning. God, none of us take delight in this topic, but we want to take delight in you. And you, you told us these things for a reason. God, we want to know your truth. God, as we consider the topic of hell, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work like crazy. Um, if there are those today whose hearts need to be comforted, I pray that you would comfort their hearts. God, if there's people whose hearts need to be pricked, God, would you prick their hearts? If there's people that need to be challenged, God, I pray that you would challenge them. God, I pray that you would give us energy and focus this morning as it's not a light topic and we don't take it lightly, Lord. Would you help us to know the truth, God, to accept the truth, to believe you at your word. Do all these things in your name. Amen. So here's the breakdown of what we're going to do. We're going to do a two-part series. So part one is going to be this week, and then part two is going to be next week. And so in the first part today, we're going to look at three basic questions. We're going to look at, does everyone go to heaven? Is hell a real place? And why does hell exist? And then next week, we're going to look at what does the reality of hell teach us about God? And what does the reality of hell cause us to consider in ourselves. And so you can see from the breakdown that what we're doing today in this sermon is a little bit different than what we normally do, right? Because normally what do we do? We, we come and we study God's word, right? And you feel the weight of its truth through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But then in the same sermon, we're immediately reminded of the motivation and the hope, right? We're, we, we try to point you to God and to the gospel to remind you don't despair because of your sin or the thing that, the, that God's word is pointing out in your life that's not right. Look to God. He's the answer, right? He's the hope, right? And so we're going to do the same thing, but it's going to feel weird. It might feel awkward because we're going to do it over time. It's not going to happen all in one sermon. It's going to happen over the course of two weeks. So when we leave here today, as you look from the screen, you can see that we're going to leave heavy, right? We're going to leave thinking about the reality of something that we don't like to think about or consider. We're going to leave in some senses without that counterbalance of hope. The counterbalance of hope is the things that we just worshiped with, right? The truth that we just sang, that's the counterbalance of hope. But we, didn't, we, normally, we normally preach that all at once, but we're not going to do that. We're going to have to break it up into two sections. And so we're going to be sitting in the weight of this this morning as we leave, and then next week, we're going to look more at that motivation, more at that hope. Also, we're going to not just be in one text today, but a number of different texts. So I'm going to have them on the screen for you, because sometimes I'll go fast. But I would encourage you, look up the ones you can. And um, if not, you can look them up later. But it's always important, not just to take my word for things, but to look for yourselves in God's word. So let's look at the first question here this morning. Does everyone go to heaven? The way that a large majority of our society makes it sound at funerals, the answer to that, they would say, is yes. And I'm sure many of you have experienced this gut-wrenching and painful feeling at a funeral for someone that you loved or someone that you've known, right? Because you're sitting there in that room, maybe you can picture that now, and you know that God is the ultimate judge of who goes to heaven, but you also know the signs that God has given us as Christians to assure us of our salvation. 
And when those signs aren't displayed in someone's life, it's right and fair to be concerned about the path that they are on. And so it's gut-wrenching, it's soul-crushing, right, to watch the speaker get up and assure the audience that their loved one is in heaven when you know that most likely that is not the case. Maybe some of you have experienced this. But this in itself can set off a tremendous wrestling within our own souls, can it not? Right? Most of us have probably been wrestling with this, have wrestled with it, are wrestling with it right now. And this is basically what you're wrestling with, is this. Do you want to believe in a God who eternally punishes people who don't follow him and yet glorifies himself by eternally punishing those who follow him? Do you want to believe that? I think if you say, do I want to believe that? The honest gut answer is no. No, I don't want to believe that. But want isn't actually the question that we need to be asking, is it? The real question that we need to ask is, will you believe that? Because the difference between wanting to believe something and being willing to accept the truth are two extremely different things. And the idea of, board, um, of universalism was born out of this faulty premise that all of us must wrestle with. Universalism basically says the way the conclusion goes, how people end up in universalism, is that we don't want to believe in a God who would send people to hell. Therefore, I can't believe in a God who would send people to hell. But is this true? Of course not, right? Maybe you've had this experience. Maybe you've never had this experience. You walk into the bathroom and the scale's there and you, you step on it, and you certainly don't want to believe that you've packed on a few extra pounds, right? Unless, of course, you're in bulking season and you're trying to put on muscle, but you don't want to believe that you have gained a few extra pounds. But once you step on the scale, the question no longer is whether you want to believe it or not, right? The question is whether you look down and will you believe and accept the truth? Or do you open up your phone and say, well, that scale must be garbage. That one must be wrong. I'm getting one day shipping from Amazon and let's get a new scale in here. That, that can't possibly be true. Or maybe you don't want to believe that you're a very mediocre car singer, right? But your friend secretly starts recording you and then puts it in your friend group chat. And then the question no longer is if you want to believe you're a mediocre car singer, but if you will accept the truth, if you will hit play on that video and find out, you know what, you are actually a very mediocre car singer, right? It's not a question of want, it's a question of whether or not if you will believe the truth. So want doesn't equal can't. But this is where universalism was born out of. You say to me, Mark, what is universalism? You haven't even told me yet. Universalism at its most basic level is the idea that God will save everyone. And to be honest, in my human flesh, I wish that this were true. But there's nothing in God's word that I can find to tell you, to teach you that this is true. Some people will use these verses to support universalism. We'll just look at a couple of them. The first one that they'll point to is Philippians 2, 9 through 11. And at first glance, as you read this verse, it kind of goes, oh yeah, it kind of looks like everyone is saved, right? We see things like, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and that every tongue will confess. That kind of sounds like everybody's going to be saved. But we don't simply study the Bible at first glance, right? We want to know what it's actually saying. And so we're going to get more into this next week, but I don't believe there's anything contradictory in this text at all. These verses describe that in the end, everyone will know, 
right? That's why they're bowing. That's why they're confessing because they know, right? They're, they're acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Not because they're all saved. The Lordship of Jesus, sneak peek for next week, doesn't cease to exist in hell. He is Lord over everything. Everyone from all history will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's part of what makes hell so excruciating is that you recognize Christ to be Lord, but you're not able to share in the goodness of God. We also know from other parts of Philippians that Paul can't be teaching that all will be saved in the end. If you look at verse 128 in Philippians, if you're there, you can see that those who oppose the gospel will face destruction. In the 319, Paul describes the enemies of Christ whose end is destruction. There's a contrast between the eternal destinies of believers and non-believers. They are not the same. We're not going to the same place regardless. You can also look at Revelation 21. Um, This is a passage that is also pointed to that's talking about the new Jerusalem. And in this passage, you can see I highlighted it in red there. It says, this is what they point to. It says, its gates will never be closed. And so some have suggested the fact that this verse says that the gates will never be closed um, signifies that people will constantly have second chances. That, and then they can look to Jesus again and go, oh yeah, I didn't. you are actually God. You can be saved. But again, if we look closely at the text and in the book that it's written in, we're going to see that this is not the case. Within the text itself, if you look at it, I want you to notice this, right? We see that only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter, right? will enter heaven. What does that mean? That implies that those, there's those whose names are not in the book of life and therefore not saved. And then the question naturally becomes, if everyone is eventually saved, why does God have the book? Why does he have the book? It's because there's two different eternal destinies. But some people will press the point and say they're just not saved yet. Let's read Revelation 20, 11 through 15 together. It says this, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled, and no small place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Some people have suggested that hell is meant for purification, and then you swing back around for a second chance. But does that read to you like hell is a place for purification? No, what does it say? It's a place of punishment. It's a terrible and harsh reality. Revelation 22, 14 through 15 says this, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. This is written, notice where this is written, 22. This is written after the gates are open passage, right? And yet, what does it say? 
Once again, there's two different places, right? Two different destinies for believers versus non-believers. There are those who are in the city and there are those who are outside the gate. They have different destinies, different final places. But perhaps the one that is the most clear is this one here from Luke 13, 25 through 28. This is Jesus talking. This is what he says. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin standing outside and knocking on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin saying, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And yet he will say, I do not know where you are from. Leave me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but you yourselves being thrown out. Jesus makes things pretty clear, doesn't he? He says there's a time where the door is open and there's a time where the door is closed. We don't have perpetual chances. And so does everyone go to heaven? Is everyone eventually saved? I think the Bible makes things pretty clear that the answer is no. Number two, is hell a real place, right? So that's the next actual question, right? So if not everyone goes to heaven, then they go to hell. But what is hell? Where are they going? Is it even a real place? Uh, Many philosophers have postulated over the years as to what hell actually is. Um, To Origen, super old dude, one of the founders of universalism, hell was a place where the souls of wicked people were purified in order to make their way back to God. This was something that people believed. And that's why I wanted to show you those verses to show you that that is not what God's word actually teaches. Uh, the great philosopher ACDC um, paints a happier portrait of hell, right? One where it's exciting to be on the path, to be on the highway towards hell because that's where their friends are. That's where the party's at. Rob Bell surmises that hell is not about some day somewhere else, but about the various hells on earth that people experience right now because of the consequences of sin, things like genocide and rape and unjust socioeconomic structures. But as Christians, we're not after what sounds best, are we? We're not after what placates our soul the most. We're after that which is true. And so we must look to God's word for these things. So first we look in the gospels and let's look at what did Jesus teach about hell because it's something that he didn't just talk about once he talked about it a number of times over and over again in the gospels you will see this essentially you can boil down what jesus taught about to these two things that hell is a place of eternal punishment after judgment and hell is described in imagery of fire darkness and judgment so let's look at these together the first one Hell is a place of punishment after judgment. Jesus uses the word Gehenna, which is translated as hell, 12 times in the Gospels. So again, it's not something he just talked about once. Um, But perhaps the passage where Jesus talks most extensively about hell is in Matthew 25. So let's look at it. If you're in Matthew 25, you can see um, that I've, for brevity's sake, I've just jumped around. So we've got 31 to 33, and then we're going to jump to 41 to 46. So start at 31 with me. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, 
Then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another. This is at the end. Just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed people, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or as a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not Do it for the least of these. You did not do it for me either. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I want you to notice a few things that we learn from this. The first is we learn when the judgment will take place, don't we? It's when Jesus comes back. Secondly, what do we see again at the judgment? I wanted to show you there's this pattern in Scripture that when the judgment happens, what do we see? We see a separation again, right? We're not going to the same place. There's a separation that happens that's handed out by God, right? And then thirdly, we see the reason for the separation, right? It's different eternal destinies. So how does he describe the eternal destiny of the group that's not with him? How does he describe it for the goats? He uses the words eternal fire in verse 41. And he says this is a place, a place prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he sends the goats there as well. It's a place that was prepared, right? It's not just a state of hell on earth because of sin. This is a place that was prepared by God. It's the reality. And finally, in 46, I want you to look at this. What does it say? They will go away into what? Eternal punishment. Both words are important here, right? Both words are important. Why? Because what does eternal mean? Eternal doesn't mean temporary. It doesn't mean purify to get out of it to go somewhere else. It means everlasting. And the second word is punishment. And the purpose is not purification, right? It's punishment. This is backed up in the context of the verses that I read you before it. Jesus is telling them why they're receiving the punishment. Because they didn't obey him. Right? Look, those are all obedience things. He's saying, you didn't do what I asked you to do. He's saying, if your hearts were changed, if you really belong to God, then you would do what I asked you to do. You would show yourself to be mine because you follow me. But you showed yourself to not be mine. You didn't follow me. So this is your eternal destiny. You're not with me. My followers go with me. But you did not follow me. You did not listen to me. You did not obey me. So you are not with me. Hell's also described in the imagery of fire, darkness, and judgment. Let's look at some verses. In Matthew 13, 30, Jesus is telling a parable of the wheat and the weeds. He says this, Allow both to grow together until the harvest And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the weeds and bind them into bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then the good news is he goes on and explains the parable. Don't you love when Jesus goes and explains the parable? It's always very helpful. This is what he says. So just as the weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. 
the Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather um, out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father, the one who has ears, let him hear. These are terrifying statements, are they not? Let me ask you this. As we read these things, do you feel the weight of these statements? Is your mind thinking like mine is about members of my family, my friends, people in our community, in our world? Hell's not going to be a party like ACDC wants you to believe. It's going to be awful. It's going to be nothing worse. We can't comprehend how painful and how awful hell will be. Matthew 25, 30 says this, and throw the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you to notice the imagery that Jesus is using here. Jesus here calls hell, and in other places in the gospel, he calls it the outer darkness. Do you remember what God, one of God's characteristics in the Bible is? What's one of his attributes? It's light, right? So we have this contrast of there being no light whatsoever in hell, but instead it's the outer darkness. Because in hell, humans are removed from the light. They're removed from the goodness of God. And so we see through these scriptures that what Jesus is teaching on, and you can go look up more, is that hell is a real place. Thrown, shown in honesty through imagery like fire and darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And its purpose is punishment and its judgment. What did the Holy Spirit teach about hell? Just a reminder, I gave it to the first service as well. Just a reminder, when sometimes we're like, oh yeah, all scriptures God breathed. And then we go, but Jesus said this. And then we've, it's kind of like we're, we're lowering the rest of scripture. No, all scriptures God breathed. The stuff that God, the Son breathed when he said things is just as important as when the Holy Spirit moved people to write things. They're on the same level. What did the Holy Spirit teach? He taught the same things. We're just going to read some verses that the Holy Spirit moved people to write. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10 says this, For after all, it is only right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are being afflicted along with us when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And when he comes to be glorified among his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. In Revelation 20, verse 10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, to pits of darkness held for judgment, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, and one more. 
Jude 1, 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these angels indulged in sexual perversion and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Before we go on to number three, I just, I feel like we need to stop and to pray. Because I don't know about you, but as I read those verses, my heart is so heavy thinking about the people that I love, thinking about my friends, family, the people that are just driving by, people that are out doing their Sunday morning grocery shopping at Yiggs, the 20,000 people that I watched on TV last night with the Leafs. Most of them don't know God. This is their destiny and it's heartbreaking. So let's pray for them right now before we keep going. Oh God, we come before you. God, and our hearts are heavy right now for the people in our lives that don't know you. There are people here today whose spouses don't know you, whose children don't know you, whose grandchildren don't know you. God, we have coworkers that don't know you and friends that don't know you, people that we pass on the street that don't know you. And this is the eternal path that they're on. And so God, we come and we pray and we beg. I beg that you would open their eyes to see the goodness of yourself, to see the goodness of God, to see the goodness of what you did for them on the cross, that Jesus came and took the weight of sin, the weight of the world, the stuff in our own lives God, the ugly, nasty stuff that we don't want anybody to ever know about. And he took it on the cross and he paid for our sin. If we would confess it to him and follow him. So God, we pray for all these people that are heavy on our hearts. God, we pray that you would save them. God, we pray that you would work mightily in their hearts and in their lives because we know it's you that saves. But God, we also come and we pray and we beg that you would choose to use us to help them see, to see the light, to see the goodness of God, that they would see it demonstrated in our lives, that they would see that we love you more than anything. God, the opportunities that come along, God, I pray that we would take them God, when opportunities don't come along, I pray that we would just manufacture them. God, would you give us courage? It's hard because people react poorly so often to talking about these hard truths. God, would you help us to have courage and conviction, God, in love, but also in steadfastness? 
to share the truth with those that we love and those we care about and those we don't even know. But we love because they were created in your image. God, would you help us as these opportunities come along, God, that we wouldn't walk up to the plate and just go down looking. God, I pray that we would swing. God, I thank you for the truth that you don't ask us to be perfect evangelists. You've asked us just to be obedient and you're the one that does the work. God, would we trust that? So often we say we do, God, but when we get to the moment, we back down. God, would we trust that? Would I trust that? Would you save? Would you save these people? God, would you bring them to yourselves, all who are represented here and heavy on our hearts as we consider these, these difficult, difficult truths? God, we love you. In your name, amen. All right, one more to go. Let's look at number three. Why does hell exist? John Piper says this. He says, we never leave God because we value him little. We exchange God because we value something else more. Let me say that again. No one leaves God, forsakes God, abandons God, suppresses God, turns away from God simply because they value him little. We always turn away from God because we value something else more. Which is why it is such a cosmic insult in an infinite outrage. This is the infinite outrage of the universe that human beings prefer something else to God. When I read that, it makes you think of Romans 1, 22 and 23, doesn't it? Do you remember that passage? It says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And then it goes on to say, why? Why did they become fools? Why does God categorize them as fools? Here comes, here's the reason why. Because they, meaning humans, right? Us, if we're not saved, exchange the glory of the immortal God for images, for idols, for things that are infinitely worse, infinitely less valuable than God himself. It also reminds me of John three sixteen through 19. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him would not perish, would not have the second death, would not go to hell, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe in him has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Why does hell exist? Because when we, right, humanity, when we look at God, knowing that Jesus, he created us and he's currently sustaining us, right, that's Colossians 1, meaning every time your chest goes in and out, every single breath that you're breathing right now is you're being sustained by God. He's holding every atom of your body together right now so that you don't explode. I don't explode into a billion pieces. He's sustaining us. 
and we know his greatness, and we know his power through creation. That's Romans 1. Knowing his goodness, and his majesty, and his love, and his mercy, and his grace, right? That's John 3. Demonstrated through Jesus, dying on the cross, taking the weight of the world of sin, taking your sin onto himself, saying, I'll pay the price that you deserve to pay. And we look at God, and we say, nah. Nah, I'm good. I want to be king of my own existence. I don't care that you created me. I don't care that you're sustaining me. I don't care that you died for me. I don't want you, God. And so what's the judgment? You see it there in the text. That we saw the light right? That's God. We saw God in all of his infinite goodness. And instead, what did we do? We love the darkness. This is the great blasphemy of the universe. And this is why hell exists. Because the rejection of God is an infinite and eternal blasphemy. It's an eternal sin. We are rejecting. It's pure evil because we're rejecting pure goodness. Who's God? God is pure goodness. And so when we reject pure goodness, what are we left with? Pure evil. And all evil flows from this very evil. And that's what hell deals with. Every other evil that you can think of, every other thing that's wrong with this world right now, every other thing that you've been personally hurt by because of sin, it all, trace it. I dare you to do it. Trace it. It all comes back to this. That we love the darkness rather than the light. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, in one sense, hell is basically giving you what you already chose. To be away from God. Right? You chose to love the darkness. You go to the place of outer darkness. It's what you desire. You said, I want nothing to do with you, God. He says, here you go. The problem is we have no idea how just unimaginably awful what we've chosen is. And so what will you believe about the reality of hell? Christians, if you believe God, what he says concerning your need for salvation and believe Jesus about what he said about how he died on the cross for you and he rose back to life for you, will you also believe him, even though it's hard when he speaks in his word about hell? I think it would be intellectually and theologically dishonest not to because they're tied together, right? The good news of the gospel, do you remember that? If you're The good news of the gospel, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, is, is, is what he saved you for. What did he save you for? He saved you for himself, right? That you remember that? That you would be with God. But the reality of the gospel is what he saved you from. What did he save you from? He saved you from hell. He saved you from separation, not being able to be in the presence of the goodness of God. That's what he saved you from. So we must know these truths and believe them. Why does the Bible talk so much about hell? We'll close with this. I believe Jesus spoke so much about hell because of his Deep, deep, deep love for us. 
his deep love for you because he wanted to warn us about the absolutely harsh reality about hell. It's not unloving to talk about hell. It's unloving if he wouldn't have told us where we would be if not for him. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to be with him because he created you and he loves you. That's why he talks so much about it. And I believe the Holy Spirit moved writers to write about hell so often in Scripture for the exact same reason. Crying, pain, fire, weeping, gnashing of teeth, eternal punishment. This is the awful destiny of those who won't give their lives to God. And there are no second chances. That's the reality. And if you're thinking about these truths today and you're not yet a follower of God, please hear this. Choose to follow God because you know he really is God. Choose to follow God because you know he really is king of the universe. And he really did send his son to die in your place. Take your punishment so that you could be with him forever. The goal of talking about the reality of hell is not that you would fear hell, although that's a good, that's a natural byproduct, right? But the ultimate goal, right? The ultimate goal is that your eyes would be opened to see a good God who would choose to send his son who did nothing wrong to die in your place so that you could be with him forever and experience his goodness instead of experiencing all the awful realities of hell. And so do I want you to sit in the truth of the reality of hell this week? Yeah, because I don't think we do it enough. I don't do it enough. But just also remind yourself that there's hope, right, in those things that we sang before we started. This is not the end of the story, right? It's a, the, the real the heart of the matter is that this reality is what makes God's love grander than anything else that our brains can comprehend. And that's the good news. And we're going to talk more about that next week. So I would encourage you, come back and hear about that. But pray, wrestle through these truths this week. And the next week, we're going to look more at that hope, right? We're going to look at the goodness of God and what the reality of hell means for us as Christians. Let's pray for you. I'm going to pray for you before we go. God, I pray that you would be with us. These are heavy, heavy things. God, to be honest, it's exhausting to, to think about and consider some of these truths and think about the people that are dearest to us. God, I pray that you would just help us. I pray that you would help us to know the truth. Would you work in our lives and help us to live differently? God, would the reality of hell cause us as Christians to well up with thankfulness for what you've done in saving us? Would it cause us to well up with urgency to tell others about you? Would it cause us to well up with a love for you that we've never had before or haven't experienced in a long time? God, we love you so much and you are so good. God, and we pray that everyone would know that. We pray that everyone would come 
to have you as the king of their existence, not themselves. God, you created us, you give us breath. You've given us everything. Everything good in this world comes from you. Would we see that? Would you open our eyes to just, to the, just to the common grace of God? Because one day, it's all gonna melt away. The common grace of God will melt away and even those who looked good, they only looked good because of the common grace that comes from you. And instead, our works will be judged and will be seen as evil. God, we admit we are evil people. We didn't do anything to deserve being saved. It's because of what you did. So God, as Christians, we come and we say thank you. Pray that you be with us this week as we ponder these truths. God, help us to find the right balance. Would you sustain us and help us to look forward to next week and dive into your word early, God, and study the goodness of God. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you have done. You are so good in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.